Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins with North Christian Church. This is part 52 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom. Let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this time, this moment that you've ordained from eternity past. This unique time, this unique place for us, spiritually, even physically, Father. We're just so blessed to have your good counsel. We know that it's the truth that sets us free, Father, and for this we're so very grateful. They are expressions. This is an expression of your grace, your mercy, your love. Father, we do pray for those in the congregation that are ill, struggling, um, that you restore them, heal them, uh, encourage them with the word of truth, possibly even with messages like this one. We pray also for those in this world, Father, that are still lost without hope, that they receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work, our Lord and Savior, on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a precious moment like this one in time something for each one of us to rejoice in as well as the congregation father we do just pray for your blessings on this message that it be edifying for our souls we ask this in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen again this is part 52 of Proverbs 17 wisdom uh, the spirit you know it st still has a little work left on the topic of family to work out in our souls so let's go back to where we started with Proverbs 17 6 again I encourage you to mark your Bibles this is our pivot point Proverbs 17 verse 6 so much goodness has come from this one passage uh, it's led us to you know, to study out marriage and mostly family, uh, which includes, um, you know, our children, the authority structure in the home, all this wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, Proverbs 17, 6, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. On Thursday, the Spirit had me challenge you. And the challenge was simple, um, but for some of you, maybe a difficult pill to swallow. Uh, possibly it was the first time in a while someone actually stood up for truth and integrity where you were the questionable party. So let's review that good labor now. And yes, you know, it is most definitely good labor since it's meant to ferret out the truth and ultimately, as we know, the truth is what sets us free. So if you recall, I gave you the following statistic. And don't, um, you know, don't hone in on the statistic or the topic itself. It's just a proof point uh, to get us thinking the right way. According to a Gallup.com article uh, dated June 9, uh, 2019, which is titled, Americans Still Greatly Overestimate U.S. Gay Population. 
Uh, a quote from that is, U.S. adults estimate that 23.6% of Americans are gay or lesbian, which is a sizable number. Yet, according to Gallup in the same article, the actual number is around 4.5%. So the point is that perception here is five times that of reality. Five times. Now, if our perception of reality can be off by a factor of five on a topic that is quite often discussed nowadays, uh, what say you of other so-called hot topics? Last time I gave you, you know, China's army or uh, global warming to ponder. How about a couple of other topics where perception might be skewed from reality? For example, what if your perception of overpopulation globally was five times that of reality? As in it's, you know, it's really not as bad as the politicians or the media make it sound. Or, I don't know, what if your perception of the looming shortage of fossil fuels was five times that of reality? And a disclaimer here, just to reiterate, I'm not suggesting any of this as truth, that your perception is one way or the other, or these things aren't real issues. Uh, I'm just challenging what you think is true versus what you actually know to be true. What you think is true versus what you actually know to be true, that's the exercise in view here. Think about it. When's the last time you did an empirical study on overpopulation? I mean, you looked at data, hard data, you know, irrefutable data. When's the last time you did an empirical study on overpopulation or fossil fuels for that matter? And I mean, you know, really did a study. As in, you didn't just take someone else's word for it. For example, you know, the so-called, quote, news uh, or from the media or social media even. I'd be willing to bet that the vast majority of people, you included, myself too, blindly accept what they perceive to be true as reality and it's most often based on non or partial truths I'd be willing to bet the vast majority of people you know both of us included we blindly accept that what we perceive to be true is actually reality so our perceptions become our reality but as the Spirit just pointed out, you know, let's face it, most of the time we don't have all the facts. Um, so the issue is what I'll call perception deception. Perception deception. Um, so let's, you know, with that concept on the table, let's whittle this discussion down to one particular area now, an area where we are, you know, we are undoubtedly are able to access the unfettered truth. In other words, we're not restricted. I mean, it might be, we might find it hard to find, uh, you know, empirical data on fossil fuels or the size of China's army or something like that. 
but we don't have that problem uh, when we talk about access to the Word of God, otherwise known as the Word of Truth. So let's read a passage now that cuts to the bone on this topic. Uh, for context in this passage, Jesus was confronting the Pharisees, who at the time specialized in perverting reality, uh, in skewing perceptions, by keeping people at arm's length away from the truth. Uh, and as a result, many were led astray by them. Uh, the sad thing is that if you were able to transport back to that time right now and interview one of their followers, those followers would argue that the Pharisees were absolutely purveyors of truth, you know, possessors of truth, uh, pinnacle, you know, uh, completely trustworthy, in other words. Well, Jesus disagreed. <laughs> Go to John 8.42. John 8.42 Jesus, who is described as grace and truth, uh, the fullness of that, he disagreed. And so that puts the, uh, John 8, 42, that puts the uh, followers of the Pharisees in a pickle. Because now they're being confronted with the actual truth, and it doesn't look like what they perceive to be true based on the lies of the Pharisees. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Here's the key. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You cannot bear to hear my word. Very uh, poignant statement from Jesus. The Pharisees just couldn't bear the truth about themselves. This should harken back to a verse we looked at last time, Galatians 4.16 on the board. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Sadly, whenever the truth uncovers a lie, the owner of the lie has this, you know, let's call it a knee-jerk reaction to being called out. In other words, people aren't always fond of discovering that they've been living a lie. I mean, it's just painful to hear. And we've all been through it. Um, people just aren't fond of hearing that news. They can't, quote, bear it. So like the Pharisees who refused to bear Jesus' words, these same people that I'm alluding to nowadays, they also refuse to hear the truth. And or even bear it. And sometimes that's you. And that's the point the Spirit's been making. Uh, we can't just throw stones at other people. John 8.43. Again, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But, and this is where it gets interesting, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. I tell you the truth and you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? 
Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So let's take a step back now and synthesize what the Spirit's saying to us here. Well, for starters, he's saying don't trust your perceptions if they aren't based on truth. Don't trust your perceptions if they aren't based on truth. Second, he's saying, don't be like the arrogant Pharisees who actually refused or couldn't bear the truth in the first place. Don't be like that. In other words, be humble. The conclusion is, if you want your perceptions to match reality, then you must possess the truth. That's what the Spirit's been driving home. If you want your perceptions to match reality, then you must possess the truth. In other words, the Bible calls that same truth light, shining light into your life. Ephesians 5, 13 to 14. Any perversion of the truth has the detrimental effect of skewing your perception of the world around you. And that's dangerous ground if you think about it. It's almost like, you know, if you don't wear if you don't wear um, prescription glasses, let's say, and you put on, you know, a really strong prescription, the world is all hazy and confusing. It's kind of the same thing. You're putting on bad glasses. Your perception of the world around you is completely skewed. So any perversion of the truth has a the detrimental effect of skewing your perception of the world around you. And as a result, uh, you live in this, quote, reality that doesn't actually exist. And that's dangerous. It doesn't actually exist. Matthew 6, 23, part B reads up here on the board, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Stated differently in the context of this message concerning, you know, perception versus reality, God's reality is the reality we ought to seek, not some other version of it, like so many nowadays do, which is why, frankly, they're miserable and confused. I mean, put on someone else's high, you know, uh, you know high-test prescription glasses, don't get in a car and drive, but... You know, try to walk around your backyard even. You're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to be miserable in a very short uh, period of time because you don't have any idea. I mean, people could take advantage of you. Uh, you could trip, you could hurt yourself. That's what the Spirit's getting at. So God's reality is the reality we ought to seek, not some other version of it where we become miserable and confused in the end. And so many people do that. Uh, thinking they're serving their best interests, but they're not. We have to cling to the simple fact that God's reality is light, a.k.a. the truth. And if we don't wish our sense of perception to fool us, then we have to heed Jesus' warning. Up on the board, again, Matthew 6, 23, part B said, If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is precisely why the Spirit's been constantly bringing us back to Ephesians 5. While he's instructing us on the virtues of godly families, 
He's simultaneously been using this time to remind us of the importance of abiding in the truth so that you're not delusional about something as fundamental as family. So you're not confused. Your perception of families in general, your own family maybe, isn't perverted and therefore causing misery in your home. Again, while he's instructing us on the virtues of godly, godly families, he's simultaneously been using this same time, he does this all the time, to remind us of the importance of abiding in the truth, uh, you know, lest our perceptions be misaligned with reality. Go to Ephesians 5, 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. So this is... You know, this is why he keeps bringing us back to Ephesians 5, 6, because Ephesians 5 uh, speaks a lot about the light and the truth. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. You know, think about what I just said, you know, uh, empty words, lies, in other words, things that have no substance in, in truth, in terms of truth. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Jeez. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. You know, that's that seeing it all is truth. That's all we want. Even if it's, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We look at our own families and we see some ugliness, some warts. That's a good thing. Because that, in humility, we can work on that with God. Or, uh, you know, at least be humble before God. Pray about it. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. To our previous principle, then, up here on the board, if you want your perceptions to match reality, then you must possess the truth, a.k.a., as we just saw in Ephesians 5, the light. So here's our guidance from the Spirit from Thursday's message up here on the board regarding how you do get tripped up. The father of lies, right? How Satan influences you. How the father of lies influences you. Your perception may not match reality. That's dangerous ground. Your perception may not match reality. So that's why we're taking a step back and considering it in our own lives, especially within the context of our our families. If and when this happens, again, typically it's due to you believing lies or half-truths, you are likely to make decisions that are suboptimal. It's like trying to build an argument on insubstantive beliefs, uh, you know, empty words uh, from others, lies, in other words. Eventually your argument fails. The house of cards falls down. And the greater the initial presupposition, the greater the fall. And we saw that in Matthew 
24 to 27. So let's quickly do a review of that reference passage. Go to Matthew 7:17. We'll start there, but we'll do this quickly. Matthew 7:17. This is how the father of lies influences you. He changes your perception, right? Uh, he gets you to believe in some lies. And as soon as you do that, uh, reality, you're not in God's reality. You're in some alternative reality um, that the lies are meant to take you to. Matthew 7, 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Diseased tree, someone you know that's taken in lies. A, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jump forward to verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine, in other words, hears the truth and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Again, the Spirit's warning us to ensure that the word of truth aligns our perceptions with reality. That's what we want. We want the truth. We want that light to shine on the good, the bad, the ugly. Seeing it all as truth, especially in our families, right? So as we've noticed at the start of the last two messages, perception can be awfully different than reality. And that's why he's been challenging us this way. Uh, and so when that happens, though, when perception is different than reality, when that happens, uh, which sadly is quite often, even for we believers, the peace and contentment that God promises inside his plan for our lives is sacrificed, is lost, in other words, is perverted, uh, you know, however you'd like to look at it. Something is lost, uh, and it starts with our peace and our contentment. And this is exactly what Satan and the kingdom of darkness wants. Why? Why does he want to, you know, mess with our perceptions? Because you know what? A ship adrift at sea is a lot easier to manipulate and control than one whose sails are filled with the Holy Spirit who is, after all, the author of the Bible itself. Let me say that again. A ship adrift at sea is a lot easier to manipulate and control than one whose sails are filled with the Spirit, the author of the Bible itself. Again, here's our fair warning on this topic. It's up here on the board, how Satan influences you. Your perception may not match reality. If and when this happens, which is typically due to you believing lies or half-truths, you are likely to make decisions that are suboptimal. It's like trying to build an argument on insubstantive beliefs. Eventually, your argument fails, and the greater the initial presupposition, uh, the greater the fall. <coughs> Excuse me. On Thursday, we looked at five familiar passages of Holy Scripture uh, to help us with this, and we synthesized as follow up here on the board. Synthesizing the following, Matthew 7, 17 to 27, Luke 8, 17 to 18, Ephesians 5, 15, Hebrews 4, 12, 2 Timothy 3, 16. The summary of all of that, uh, and I invite you to go back and read them all yourselves again, was this. 
Seek to build your thoughts on truth. That is what we ought to be doing. Look for the truth. Seek for the truth diligently. Therefore, be careful what you listen to because your thoughts direct your walk. Let the Bible be your source of truth because it is God-breathed. So the obvious emphasis here is to be very careful that the light in you isn't darkness, but actually light, a la Matthew 6, 23b. How do you ensure this is the case? Well, you have to humbly submit to the authority of Holy Scripture. And that's the point on the board, right? Seek to build your thoughts on truth. Let the Bible be your source of truth because it is God-breathed. This is how you protect yourself, and this is how you protect your families. You have to humbly submit to the authority of Holy Scripture. Romans 10, 17 up on the board, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are, we are built up, we are edified through the word of Christ, which is the word of truth. Satan and the kingdom of darkness are doing everything they can to warp your sense of perception versus reality. And they accomplish this through one device, lying. Lying, just flat out lying. Again, up here on the board, how Satan influences you. Your perception may not match reality. If and when this happens, you are likely to make decisions that are suboptimal. It's like trying to build an argument on insubstantive beliefs. Eventually, your argument fails. And just, you probably know this, but it's a good reminder to think about. Uh, Satan's not a unidimensional creature, <laughs> right? Uh, only, you know, you know, he's only somehow capable of weaving a single line of attack together at a time. He's not unidimensional like that. He doesn't just come at you straight on. He orchestrates attacks, right? Um, do not be deceived. Satan would love for you to think that he's unidimensional. Um, Satan and the kingdom of darkness have devised countless ways to enable you even in your dysfunction. So concentrate here. First, Satan would love for you to think that he's unidimensional. Like, you know, hey, just believe this lie. Most of us, even, you know, new believers in the faith, uh, you know, can see past that. He's really smart. Genius, beyond genius even. And he's, and he's devised countless ways to enable you in your current dysfunction. Not only will he lie to you and get you to accept, let's say, a smaller lie, but he will continue to lie to you so that that lie grows tendrils into your life, into your soul, into your marriage, into your family, and he will continue to enable that lie to persist, you understand, with other lies. In other words, pad the first lie, the big lie, let's say, or even a little one that grows tendrils. Um, and, and sadly, if we're honest, we eat it up like I don't know, bacon and pancakes on a Saturday morning. 
we love it, right? I mean, think about it this way. A, a perfect example of this is the victim mentality that seems so prevalent nowadays. You know, everybody's a victim. Um, where no one seems to have to take personal responsibility for themselves anymore. Get caught breaking the law? Blame your parents. Abusing your spouse? Just blame your childhood abuser. Got a problem? I don't know. You choose the flavor of the day. Just blame someone else. What human flesh, including your own, doesn't like a rigged system where you never have to take responsibility for your own bad decisions? That's the world we live in today. And my point is that the kingdom of darkness has made it very, quote, easy to become a liar, to live in a lie, uh, especially about marriage and family. Uh, he, he's made it very easy. He's enabled us to be good liars about our, our own lives. Um, but here's the guidance from God on this topic up here on the board. Don't be a liar. Simple. Don't be a liar. Lying makes you indistinguishable from Christ's antagonist. We have enough lies to try to sift through. We don't need our own to make matters worse. So function in integrity always, even when it hurts. A la Ephesians 5. If you know, if it's seeing it all as truth, then you know, we turn the lights on, we let the we're humble, we let the word of God turn the lights on in our own lives, our own families, and we see a bunch of warts and it hurts. So we say, shut the light off. Ooh, ooh, you know, we have a shutter. It don't shut the light off. Look at those things straight on. Uh, and address them with God straight on. All right, here's a good time to get back to our primary course of study again. Go to your tab, Proverbs 17, verse 6. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Again, reads, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. So here's our principle from the outset of this message. And it's a recurring principle for us. Uh, it's sort of our anchor of our studies lately on marriage and family. We believers are held to a higher standard. And remember, God, uh, man does not set the bar at the head of each family. God has given authority to a man. On Thursday, the Spirit gave us a friendly reminder as well <clears throat> that we ought to be cautious uh, you know, across the board when it comes to the influences in our lives. We are talking about protecting our families. Uh, we ought to be cautious, vigilant even, across the board when it comes to any influence we allow into our lives. For example, uh, in her flesh, a wife could easily tell her husband that he's not the head of the family. It happens all the time. That easy to see how that could happen. Oh, you know, the kids could do the same thing, right? Or, I don't know, maybe it's a mother-in-law that says that. The point the Spirit made last time is that everyone, at some point, acts on behalf of the kingdom of darkness. 
And we have to accept that as an absolute truth. It just is what it is. Therefore, we can't let our guards down and let certain influences into our lives. We have to have checks, in other words. Uh, the, the Apostle Peter is a perfect example of this up here on the board. Matthew 16, 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that was Peter, you know, Petrus, right? That's the, you know, uh, Christ said, I'm going to build a church on you, on your back on this thing, right? And he called him Satan. So taking that back to the context of our family, so much of a family's success depends on sound leadership. Sound leadership. That means there have to be uh, men. We have to sit at the helm and protect our families. Uh, ladies, God did not design you to lead the family. He put your husband in that position of authority. Men, the responsibility is yours. Stop blaming other people for your dysfunction in your role as a husband and father. And also, stop calling tyranny leadership while you're at it. Right? Don't don't think just because God gave you authority that now you can be a tyrant. Uh, you know, your family's not there to serve you. You're there to serve them. Uh, that's what true leadership looks like. Uh, now's the time to uh, step up. That's what the Spirit's been saying. Now's the time to step up into the light in full disclosure to yourself in truth. That's what he's been saying. If this is the truth, then step up. Now's the time to align your perceptions with God's reality. Now's the time to protect your family, in other words. Why? Up here on the board. Godliness in families pays dividends for life. Think about that. I don't know about you, but I love my family. I want my family to be happy and healthy and peaceful. I want them to know the Lord. I want them to know the uh, the word of truth. Why? Because it pays dividends for life. And I want to lead. I want to function in my role as the leader of my family so that those things happen. Godliness in families pays dividends for lives. Uh, here's, what, here's where we ended last time on marriage and family. Uh, you know, this, this high standard, it seems lofty, you know, um, what I just described even, these high standards of God regarding marriage and family, it does imply greater responsibility, which means, especially to the humble person, more opportunity to bring glory to God in time. This is fantastic news. Uh, you're going to put me at the head of this thing, and then you're going to you know, supernaturally enable me to fulfill uh, my role as a leader? Yes. Sign me up. That sounds great. I get more opportunity to bring glory to you, Lord, who saved me. Uh, the scriptural reference, of course, to this is Luke 12, 48, part B, up here on the board. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. For a humble believer, this truth is seen as an opportunity 
to bring glory to God. You see the difference? You know, a, a adolescent type think would be like, oh, here's another, you know, more responsibility. Can I just, can I just blame someone else? Can I just be enabled uh, by a few more lies about my responsibilities so that I can, you know, punt this responsibility, blame somebody else uh, for my own poor decisions, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Think about this. <clears throat> this is precisely why whenever asked, or whenever someone asks me um, about marriage or, you know, starting a family, I always include the opportunity in view here. I always include the word. This is, you know, the words, this is your opportunity. In other words, if you're just getting married or having kids for selfish or romantic reasons, you've missed the bigger point. Think of it this way. God is the one who has given mankind the divine institutions of marriage and family. God designed them. He gave them to us. For what purpose again? To bring glory to him. That's the purpose of them. To bring, ultimately, to bring glory to him. So, whenever a believer begins thinking about marriage they must simultaneously be thinking about what kind of glory their marriage might bring to God. Marriage isn't something to be taken lightly, uh, frankly. For even, I think about it, even the angels are watching. Uh, and yet, is it a fair assessment of most so-called, you know, quote-unquote Christian marriages that bringing glory to God is one of the last things people are thinking about, if at all? I mean, it certainly seems so. For starters, uh, think about this. Some quote-unquote Christians get romantically involved with unbelievers in stark contrast to Holy Scripture, which warns against this very thing. Is that about bringing glory to God? So the Bible says, do not get involved with an unbeliever. Uh, how can you possibly say that getting romantically involved with an unbeliever is about bringing glory to God? I mean, how could it be? Or say even, uh, you know, two believers do plan on getting married. Is God really on their minds? Do they see their marriage as an instrument to bring glory to God? Or is it really about them and their romantic notions about, you know, being married, you know, having the wedding? Uh, and, and finally, when a married couple decides they want to have children, is their intent to bring glory to God? Or is it to satisfy, you know, some fleshly desire to fulfill some lifelong dream, let's call it, of, you know, two and a half kids, a dog, and a white picket fence. <laughs> I hope you see the point the Spirit's making here. Uh, up here on the board, again, on marriage and family, we believers are held to a higher standard. Those should not be our low standards. This is not about us. This is about God. Remember, man does not set the bar. We didn't design these divine institutions. Um, God did. 
And God said, at the head of each family, I'm placing a man. And you know what? This, this all makes sense, given what the Spirit's been teaching us. That, you know, marriage and family of believers is designed to bring glory to God. It's designed that way. And that is the very first objective of both divine institutions for believers. That's the truth. Uh, that's the light. Uh, there are a lot of lies out there that say otherwise. You know, just dive in head first and we'll figure out the, the God stuff later. Wrong, wrong, wrong. If you don't have God's viewpoint as your top priority, then you've missed the point of marriage and family. I was thinking about that. Um, you know, I think, I'd argue at least that most Americans have this, you know, image in their heads that they learn from the world, from the world, not through the Bible, you know, through media, uh, and other people who might have zero regard for glorifying God. And so they cling to a perverted version of reality because their perceptions are skewed by lies. They cling to a perverted version of reality because their perceptions are skewed by lies. They think that, you know, here's a great lie. They read a romance novel and they think, well, it can't be real love if it's not what I just read. If it's not, you know, romance day in and day out and, you know, the, the, the husband's, you know, rides a horse to work and back every day and, and, and shows up at the end of every day with fresh flower, fresh cut flowers, you know, and the wife is doing whatever, you know, I don't know, making, from the guy's perspective, you know, making perfect food every day for the man as he you know, jumps off his noble steed and, you know, rubs his feet and his shoulders and all that, whatever. That's all complete garbage, right? And, but yet that's where people, that's people's image of marriage and family. And it looks nothing like uh, God's image of it. And so these people, you know, they cling to a perverted version of reality because their perceptions are skewed by lies. Now, if that wasn't enough, this is the this is the worst part. That's just the beginning, right? If if your perceptions are skewed by lies, you make terrible, life-changing decisions about marriage and family that align to false presumptions about what these divinely ordained institutions were meant to be. You make terrible, life-changing decisions when this you know, when this all plays out, there's inevitably pain and suffering, especially for those involved that are believers. Now think about this. In many ways, a believer is going to suffer even more in an ungodly marriage than an unbeliever. Because remember, God designed marriage for everyone, believers and unbelievers. But we are called to higher ground, right? Our standard, our bar is set higher as believers. So if you think about that, you say, wait a minute, a believer is going to suffer even more in an ungodly marriage than an unbeliever due to the simple fact that God holds them to a higher standard. Luke 12, 48. 
not to mention that they are in possession of a good conscience <laughs> that convicts them daily of what's right and wrong, even in their own home. So, for believers, what was meant to be a blessing turns into a curse. Think about that. Divine institutions, marriage, family, they were meant to be blessings. Think about that. And so for someone that's persisting in ungodliness in these institutions, what was meant to be a blessing turns into a curse. And that, unfortunately, is the fate of the believer who enters into marriage and family with little or no regard to God's will. On the flip side are those who do abide in God's plan for his children, those who do choose their spouses wisely, those who do bear children on the hope their new family becomes a beacon of light to God's glory in a world where families are essentially awfully and utterly antagonistic to God. Do you see the distinctions here? I hope so. Um, do you understand why the Spirit had me present this single recurring thought to you? Uh, and here is said recurring principle from all the way, traces all the way back to Proverbs 17, 6 again. Uh, in case you forgot, this has been our recurring principle. God loves godly families. I hope you know why now. I hope you understand why he's had me present uh, this series this way. Uh, because the alternative is just awful. And all those involved in those alternatives become walking proverbs of what not to do. God loves godly families. Remember this, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If a believer ignores godly counsel like this that I'm giving to you right now and pursues ungodly relationships, marriage, family, constructs, they have set themselves up for cursing. On the flip side, if a believer abides in God's commandments, the implication, as we know from Jesus' own words, implies abiding in the sphere of God's love, they will be blessed in both their marriage and family. Again, blessed with what exactly? Love. Love. And that's been our calling throughout all of this. Love. This is why I've been commissioned to teach you such lessons. Go to Ephesians 4.11 as a friendly reminder, uh, and then I'll close. Ephesians 4, verse 11. This is why I've been commissioned to teach you such lessons. It's not because I'm trying to, you know, talk down to you. or I'm trying to set you free. I want the word of truth to set you free. I want your perception to match your reality or to, act God, uh, uh, to match God's reality. Ephesians 4.11, <clears throat> and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, <clears throat> to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature 
of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. So let's just reflect before we close. Um, God designed our earthly families as, you know, small versions or illustrations of his much larger heavenly family. So families are like microcosms of God's holy family, like tiny samplings of his spiritual relationship with his with his children. Um, so just reflect on this. The world is watching us, our marriages, our families, and it's wondering if it sees the Lord or not. That is the importance of godliness and why God loves godly families, because godly families glorify him. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this message. Thank you for giving us this time, this space, uh, the ability to understand your word, to take it in, and then uh, the ability to recall it when it matters. Uh, thank you for giving us your patience. So thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for proving to us that your faithfulness is renewed each and every morning and that your love is oh so real. We do just ask for your blessings as we take the things that we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, our families, our marriages, and then your will be done out to a world that just needs this truth so desperately, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.